Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Relics of War. Today on Relics, we have two guests from Tequadal Terror Squad. Uh, our first guest is Aylorin. Hi, Aylorin. Hello. Uh, how are you doing today? Pretty fantastic myself. How are you? I- I'm doing pretty well. We also have uh, another guest, uh, Murph. How are you doing, Murph? Good evening. I'm doing well, thank you. As well as myself as a usual host, and Vrabin as our second host. How are you doing, Vrabin? I'm doing well, as always. Glad to be here, and glad to have you know this be on a special episode and get some ideas from uh, you know people that are in the community. Indeed, because there's nothing quite as awesome as far as MMOs go as the Guild Wars 2 community, because of pretty much all the online communities I've ever been able to partake in, the Guild Wars 2 one is the, uh, how do I put this? Not the bottom of the barrel compared to Lee. I can English. So that's great, but to get started, let's uh, see if you guys could introduce yourself and give a little background that you, what you have in your Guild Wars 2 experience, and specifically raids, and how that works with, I'm sorry, with the Tequadal Terror Squad. Well, it's not, uh, just, not just Guild Wars 2, just uh, your gaming backgrounds in general. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Sure. Um, I might go first. Um, my name is Muff, as you heard before. Uh, my background in MMOs is quite long, actually. I started off in World of Warcraft, um, played that for about five years. I stopped at Kata when that came out, just because it got really boring and grinding for me. But I was in a, a raiding guild raiding every day for four hours, like the good old days. Um, and then I came into Guild Wars 2 because it was uh, something different, something that appealed. Um, I heard of Guild Wars 1 before, but I uh, never actually played it. So um, going to Guild Wars 2 was a new experience, new everything. And I've just been here since, which is awesome and really, really enjoying it. As someone that comes from basically the exact same background, <laughs> how was it sort of transitioning between the whole raiding atmosphere of WoW and then into Guild Wars? I think the the biggest transition challenge was the fact that there was no Holy Trinity. And I guess in a, in a sense that was a positive thing uh, for me because... You know, try and uh, remember back before they had the dungeon finder thing, trying to find a healer for your party or a tank for your dungeon party was just near impossible unless you had friends that were playing in those classes. So, um, you know, the, the lack of Trinity really opened up a lot of options and uh, a lot of different experiences in Guild Wars 2. The other thing that I found oh, to be man. quite positive and different to the old WoW days was the whole help everyone kind of aspect in Guild Wars 2, where you... There's, there's no PvP um, in open world. It's just go out. If you help someone, you get your own loot, you get your own experience and whatnot. And it, it, I think it, it really helped build the community into the positive community that is today. I, I totally agree. It, I mean, most people don't realize just how much how a game deve- is developed and runs affects the community that actually plays it. Yeah. But to move along, Aileron, how... Is your background sort of set up? So uh, not nearly as quite as extensive as Murph's or yourself's. Uh, I played a bit of World of Warcraft in the early days, did a bit of raiding. Uh, MMOs weren't actually very... They weren't the genre that I actually liked to play quite a bit, uh, so I wasn't heavily invested. Funnily enough, Guild Wars 2 
was actually when I got heavily into the MMO genre. Uh, I've been playing Guild Wars 2 for the past two years. Um, only recently have I actually got into what they consider their world boss content, such as Jaquadal Triple Trouble. Uh, I've been a TTS leader for about five months now. So in that respect, uh, the World of Warcraft background really only ranged to, I don't know if you guys remember, but the Professor Putricide and Ice Crown Citadel running that almost freaking every day, actually. Who's everyone? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, being a fairly recent leader, how? What are some of the challenges of leading such a huge guild like TTS? Administration-wise, I think TTS is very difficult in the regards that you're trying to really find this common ground where everyone can enjoy what you're trying to provide for them. TTS was founded on the beliefs that. You know, you'd kind of come together, you'd get these raid boss type content done, and that was it. Well, now, you know, people have started to interpret TTS the way that they truly see it. And as it started to mold across, you kind of have to try and blend everything together and make sure that people, you know, understand that as leaders, we're trying to do the best thing that we possibly can for you. And we're trying to make this administrative background be like as less burdening as possible. But at the end of the day, when you've got you know, 2,000 plus members or more, you just have to make sure that everyone is working together in the best possible way that they can. All right, all right. Murph, same question. Um, well, I've, um, as, I don't know if you know or listeners know, but um, I was one, I'm the one of the co-owners of TTS, so I've been around since the, basically the inception of TTS, probably the second week that it was formed, and I've been through all the ups and downs. Um I think similar, similar to Aaron's notes, the, one of the key challenges really is trying to find that happy medium. I mean, with a guild of 2000 plus, everyone has different requirements, everyone has different expectations, and trying to cater um, what we do um, to meet our members' needs is quite challenging, especially with the large numbers that we have. And at the, at the end of the day, you know, we're not going to be able to please everyone because that's just a nigh impossibility. Um, but we try our best to come to a compromise where at least the majority of our members are, are content and can get something worthwhile with us. With such large numbers, obviously you can't have all your members in one guild. So do you, I don't personally know just how many guilds there are encompassing TTS. Is there like an official number? Yes, there is actually an official number. <laughs> We're at 12 guilds right now uh, with quite a few members in them. We actually have to do our monthly purges where we remove the inactive people. And yeah, it's it's quite an undertaking. Jeez, I, I can't imagine the like logistics of communicating between 12 different guilds to like do this or not do this and all this whatnot like how how do you guys manage just communication between the different guilds um i think the the main basis that tts was formed was more of an aspect rather than a than a guild aspect and mm-hmm. um, we tend to use our guild servers like i guess a place where we can put our members and use okay. them as a register but in, in reality when when we're organizing stuff everything is organized in our team speak because that's that's the easiest way just to reach out to everyone um we do have you know leader representatives in each of the guilds um during the key raid times just yeah. to make sure that we do have people there to answer and field any questions um we recently just went undertook a bit of a guild reshuffle and we all segregated, or not really segregated, but we assigned different guilds to specific time zones so that we could 
increase the concentration of leaders in those in those guilds. So we have one EU or two EU guilds, four OCE guilds, and six NA guilds.、Um, and the leaders in those respective time zones are. A place in those guilds to ensure we have coverage during those time zones.、Oh, But、right. at the end of the day, you know,、um, we we kind of put、um, the onus on our our members to check our website, check our forums, check the team speak to see what's happening because that's really where all the information sits.、Um, you know, trying like I said before, trying to communicate anything out to a large number of people is is quite difficult, and we try our best. But at the end of the day.、Um, We've, all our information is is out there for people that want to take the two seconds of effort to look at. As someone that's sort of been in a big guild before, or at least a popular one, because world first, whatever,、uh, having the information out there has always been kind of a double-edged sword. Obviously, with Guild Wars Two, I don't see that being as much of a problem. But has it been a problem for you guys in the past? In terms of having information out there, one of our biggest issues that we've actually been trying to work on quite heavily is our community transparency. A lot of members feel that maybe we're not doing as much as we should be doing to give them the information that they want, and I think it's something that Murph and the council, which is a part of our setup, as well as all of the leaders, have been really trying to work on. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's in the background that really just doesn't need to be communicated. But then at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that we like to communicate with our members that doesn't necessarily, I want to say, affect us in terms of negativity.、Uh, people sometimes misinterpret the way that things are posted or the way that we're trying to communicate with them, and it's something that we work with every day.、Uh, but I don't, I don't think necessarily that there's ever been truly an issue where we've released some sort of information and people have had some sort of backlash in regards to it because we try to. Really keep sensitive information private and only release information that pertains to the way that, or pertains to stuff that may affect them in the long run. Okay, that's that's good because I've personally been part of a scandal where something about the guild got out to the public and it like blew up and ended up on uh oh, what's that website again?、Um, Reddit? No, not Reddit. The the WoW、um, uh, MMO King something like that. Ah.、Uh. This is back in the day. Yeah, way back in the yeah. day. Yeah, I remember there were a few bits of drama, but I mean, it's 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 a large scale drama is going to happen.、Um, you know, we we've been through our fair share of drama as well, and、um, you know, it it just comes down to、yes. to how we manage it and how we、um, move on from that point and try and work with the people involved or any affected parties and look at previous procedures and processes and and whatnot to try and make sure that it. It doesn't happen again. All right, kind of、um, moving forward a little bit into the、uh, rating bits、uh, in the CDI. There's been a lot of mention of heavy guild involvement for rating, and even further than that, bringing alliances into the mix.、Um, how would you guys feel about having an alliance system put into the game in this capacity? Because you you guys basically already have an alliance, so.、Um, Would it be weird if you if it was introduced and then all of a sudden it's it's still not enough? <laughs> In terms of what we're doing right now, like I think what we like to realize is that TTS, despite its twelve guilds and the artificial separation, or well, technological separation, basically, is that we still kind of act as one large family, and we have technically our own alliance system, as to speak. Uh, where we've been partnering with other guilds to either accomplish allowing them to kill worm with us, like you know working with them, 
in terms of getting our members to assist them, training their commanders, just generally trying to really push the community aspect of what TTS believes in, which is we want everyone to be able to be involved in these fights. And we don't want people to feel as if, you know, they can't do something because, you know, they feel like they're just ignorant to what's going on. I think one of the most beautiful things about it is our community is just shaped of all different ages, shapes, sizes. I mean, we've got some members who just completely surprise me every day with what they pull off. So I don't think that there would ever be really anything in terms of what ArenaNet could do that would limit how we interact with the community, even with alliances, unless they somehow just absolutely manage to poorly implement it on every possible level, which... I think they're competent. I don't think they would do something like that. Alliances were fairly well done in Guild Wars 1, so... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I, if anything, like, you know, introduction of alliances would make our organization just a wee bit easier. Um, but, I mean, like we said before, a lot of our organization comes through our team speak, and it's just because it's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Well, this is exciting. It's cool to hear some of the inside of this and how it works. And you guys are doing a great job. I know there's been two or three times that I've down to Quaddle, you know, working in a map that you guys have sponsored. So, you know, thanks for that. And it's just cool to hear the background of what you're doing for the community. Because, you know, out of all the guilds I can think of, you're doing the most for the community. Absolutely. Well, well thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, really. And, thank you. No, no problem. But And really, the, from what I'm hearing... Going into raids as we go later in the episode, I think I'm really going to like what you guys are saying because you want everyone to be able to do it and you want everyone to be able to do it. And you've got that diversity in your uh, your 12 guilds already for that. You you just want everyone to be able to have it accessible. And I think that's how raids should be. So it's, I'm looking forward to see the rest of this episode, where the rest of this episode goes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, that's sort of the mantra of who we are. Like the base premise of the founder, Alu, when he started up was that he was getting sick and tired of trying to have to you know, being in these little click guilds that that can down these bosses, um, but you need to have some special membership and, you know, spend a lot of months with them. And then he kind of just opened up the doors with TTS and said, look, you know, we're going to have a few people that are interested in doing these fights. Everyone's welcome. The only thing we kind of ask you is that, you know, that you listen to the commanders and leaders because they're going to be guiding you to victory. And that's, that's really a base mantra that we work off is that, we, you know, you can either be a t- member of TTS or a non-member of TTS or from whatever background you come from. Um, everyone's free to join. We don't have any restrictions in that regard. Kind of the only thing that we do ask is that, you know, um, you, do, you do follow the commander's instructions and to ensure, you know, a smooth, efficient kill. And sort of going off of that idea a little bit, um, how do you guys, like, feel design-wise as the bosses have been made already? Yeah. Uh, about the strategies that are needed to do them. I think the greatest thing about the current... I'm going to refer to them as the current two boss fights because ArenaNet considers Karka Queen as one of the world bosses, but honestly, that's just a Zerg fest. So uh, in terms of Triple Trouble, uh, I think it's actually one of... I think it's very well designed. And the best thing about that fight, though, is a lot of that is just reused assets that they've meshed together very well. And that's something that they should take into consideration, in my opinion, for their future raids is that, yes, reusing assets is fine and all that. Um, in terms of what Triple Trouble has done and Tequanil has done, their mechanics are fairly straightforward. There's no major class requirement as to what you need to do. Uh, like, you know, we don't have to yell at our warriors to run these specific traits. We don't have to tell guardians that you need this and this and this. 
Well, a lot of our strategies do reflect around actually having a reflect team that does have specific classes, which is one of the drawbacks to it. It's not as overbearing as, say, the raids in World of Warcraft, where you had to have tanks. Your Everything was about your skill rotations and making sure that you had them perfectly down. And you had to rotate your tanks out and you had to do this and this and this just for to accomplish the fight. Uh, that's something that Guild Wars 2 does really well, in my opinion, is that they try and keep their content as open as they possibly can without enabling or putting restrictions on what certain classes can do, etc. That meshes together very well. Yeah, the infamous non-traditional tank in WoW, like <sighs> yes. the Warlock tank for SSC or the Mage tank and the freaking I, I can't even remember what it was called. Gruul's <laughs> Lair, the like council. Oh my, can't. Yeah, I remember the Mage tanks. That were good old we didn't, days, we didn't but... have a Mage in my guild. At that point, like we had we had warlocks a plenty, and we actually ended up having a druid tanking that as a moonkin. That that went. <laughs> oh god. But yeah, I mean, like, like to Eleanor's point, I think triple trouble, in my opinion, and I think a lot of leaders echo this, which is why they all enjoy doing triple trouble. Is you know, it's it's a step in the right direction for for Anet in terms of end game raid boss content. It's when when you boil triple down triple trouble down to it. The mechanics aren't that difficult to understand. It's really quite easy to understand what you need to do in Triple Trouble. The challenge in it lies in the actual execution and coordination uh, during the fight for it to be a success. And I think if Anet continues down that path, especially with the new raid CDI and they're in what seems to be their intentions of introducing raid content and then and um, end game content into the game, I think they'll be in a in in a good place. Okay. Um kind of going off the CDI and some of the suggestions that have been made in the CDI as far as boss mechanics go, a lot of them are leaning towards things that are sort of non-traditional in raid sense, like platforming and things that don't necessarily have responses in the way of players using their actual profession abilities, but using like weird mechanics like levers and whatnot in the environment. How do you guys feel about that? I think that would be awesome. And you know, the with the with the rate CDI, it's it's really a chance for players to get really creative and really think outside the traditional traditional WoW raid setup where you need a tank and healer. Because there's no tank and healer, it's very class agnostic or role agnostic in Guild Wars 2. You kind of can open Pandora's box, essentially, and you can put any sort of mechanic in there to make the fight interesting. And it's going to work because of the way Guild Wars 2 plays in the combat system. Much to what Murph has said, I think something that really needs to be stated about ArenaNet is they like to reinvent the wheel a lot. Guild Wars 2 does that quite often with their movement-based combat, which is heavily influenced, the dodge rolling and all of that. So to me, it's no surprise that players are really throwing out those wicked, crazy ideas. I know Murph uh, was actually joking and our team speak before we came over here about a boss that was based on using healing skills to actually damage him. And as crazy as it sounds, it's those same crazy ideas that would actually influence the really awesome just mechanics and other boss fights that you could develop from that standpoint without forcing players to, you know, need this skill and all of that. And much as Timurf has said, it's that exact same, you know, mantra that ArenaNet follows that really gives this just awesome vibe to their game. I think something like platforming, you know, jumping out, because I think actually what you may be referencing is the post where someone uh, stated that, you know, you'd have someone really good at jumping who could run up, unlock that piece of content, or jump up, unlock that piece of content and come down. 
Uh, I mean, there's just some really, really cool ideas in terms of just raids that people are suggesting on the raid CDI before it kind of went downhill. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, because of the nature of CDIs, they tend to just go downhill after a certain point. Usually around like 15 pages, but the first 15 pages is usually really good. So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, this one was at the 14th page, so yep. <laughs> Going a little bit more with particular strategies and whatnot, how do you guys as um, sort of leaders and you, you basically have to come up when these new bosses come out with the strategies of how to handle them, what's the thought process of figuring out, hey, we probably want Reflect Team over here so that they can do this, or even figuring out that you need a Reflect Team to start with. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's one of the great things about TTS. Actually, uh, when I was personally becoming a leader, and I imagine everyone else, you know, they we re- really reinforce the idea that you're always open to learning, 100. percent Like if you shut yourself out and you're not willing to try new ideas, you're not going to discover these crazy things about these bosses. Um, some really awesome members of our community. I want to attribute it to Calic Armstrong and a few of his friends. Uh, they're actually the ones who figured out, you know, you stand in front of this worm, you use your skilled and reflex, your shield and reflex skills that you can reflect these things back into the worm and that they disappear and it makes the fight a lot easier, especially with like condition damage teams in these setups. Like that's the best thing about TTS is we're always open to ideas. Like there's never a time where I've been like, oh no, I won't try that because if I don't try it, then how am I sure that the idea is actually bad or not? And that's just the greatest thing about it. Consistently trying new things on these fights where you think, oh no, that wouldn't work. And then for whatever reason, God forbid it works so well that you just have to keep doing it that way. And it's that's a lot of the way where we keep forming our strategies is we always try new stuff when it comes up. We're open to these new ideas and nothing is off limits. Now, would you say that, because in my understanding, Tequadal is immune to crits. I'm correct in that, right? Yes. Now, yes. is the is the worm also immune to crits? Uh, phase one, the worm is considered a structure, is immune to crits. Phase two, it's a moving, living thing. You can critically hit it. Okay, well, I thought that was really good, um, at least with Tequadal, and then, as you're saying, phase, the phases in that don't crit on uh, the worm, because then it moved a little bit away from the Zerker meta that everyone is just so tied to in Guild Wars 2, and it, I think it helped open up what you were just talking about for, let's try new things, let's do this, let's figure this out, and see what works best. Yeah, it totally did. I mean, that alone, like we we instruct everyone every day. Part of our explanation with Taquadal is you guys need to realize that you cannot just zerk this boss down and expect to live. Like that is not how it works. If you're going to stand here in zerker gear, you're going to get absolutely pancaked. Taquadal is just going to take his tail and fling you in the air. And that's the bottom line. Arena Net using these new like stack combos or these new types where you can't crit these bosses. Or even what we mentioned, or what I mentioned previously about the boss that would be only susceptible to healing attacks that would actually make healing power gear something that you can invest in or yeah. something of the sorts. I mean, it's, it really opens the door to them trying new things. Yeah, I like that idea for healing power. It gives me like that old school Final Fantasy vibe where you'd have to heal undead to hurt them. Yeah. I just want to add quickly, or maybe not quickly, I might ramble on a bit, so I apologize in advance, but um, just to the, in terms of how we come up with our strategies, and I'll give you an anecdotal, I guess, recount. When, when we did Worm, um, Worm was on a two-hour spawn timer, so when we finished, we'd have to wait like an hour and a half um, before we'd be able to attempt the Worm again, and during that time, we'd pull the leaders in, do a debrief, talk through everything, and... <laughs> Um, you know, what went well, what didn't, you know, what's kind of working, what are, our, what are the people that 
you know, doing experiments and all that. Um, perfect example, like Aaron said, is a reflect, which was brought up by Calic and Jack and a few other people is they discovered that if you put a reflect down where the egg was going to land, then it would reflect the egg back. Um, and that's where it really started is, you know, they, they started reflecting the eggs from where they landed and then they slowly moved in and in and in. And then finally they found that you could actually stand inside the worm and reflect. And, you know, that, that took a few iterations to, to figure out, but, um, at the end of the day, you know, it was that debrief, that open collaboration, that openness to talk to people that are experimenting, finding interesting uh, mechanics and responses to these bosses that, that really underpins our strategy. And that sort of debrief process has been brought forward over the last couple of months. I mean, even now um, with Worm, especially when, you know, Worm fails or whatever, we always, the first immediate response that everyone has is basically, all right, everyone, let's hop into the leader channel. Let's do a quick debrief. What what went what why didn't we get the kill um was it you know what went wrong is it something we can improve for next time and you know if it's more tweaks here and there um then we generally pass it across and communicate that across the rest of the leaderboards and even now we're still you know tweaking our strategy here and there a bit because of new things that have come up all right that reminds me of something that's actually happened and sort of related to my next question um back when uh dungeons were sort of difficult and the new thing in Ascalon Catacombs, the Necromancer boss, if you were a Mesmer and you mimicked one of her abilities, you would actually steal her staff and you can use her abilities. Um, that was interesting and it ended up getting fixed eventually, but that's not the point. Uh, how do you guys feel like, I know the whole openness to learning the mechanics and whatnot, but what about non-traditional mechanics, sort of along the lines of that? Uh, in terms of like those non-traditional mechanics, I think there's been uh, multiple times where those have come in handy. I personally wasn't aware of the uh, Necromancer uh, mimic thing. That's actually really interesting. I think if they kept building those in these fights, and they were incredibly just off bay. Like, I mean, I think that's what ArenaNet honestly needs to do. They are a company that champions new creative ideas that don't follow the status quo of other MMOs. And that's one of the greatest things about Guild Wars 2 is that when you step in this type of MMO, you're thinking, okay, this is just, this is how, this is going to play out exactly how it would in World of Warcraft or another MMO. And it doesn't, it goes completely against what you think is going to happen. And that is just one of the coolest things about it. I mean, the absence of the Holy Trinity, the absence of a ton of the stuff that you see in other MMOs where you smash as many buttons as you can in some rotation. And that's, that's the entire point of it. That's how you fight by smashing as much buttons as you can with, you know, a skill bar that takes up half the screen and you're skilled that way. Uh, Arena Nets kind of shied away from that and has tried those untraditional mechanics and they should continue to try that in my opinion because it makes some of the most interesting fights that, I've ever personally seen in an MMO, but, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I've only played three or four. It's, honestly, three or four is enough. It, it really depends on, like, which ones. But in general, once you've played an MMO, you've pretty much seen them all. With the exception <laughs> of Guild Wars 2. But yeah. Uh, yeah, which is fair. Sort of. So touching. Going along the lines of, like, you guys like seeing innovation and how Anet reinvents the wheel, so to speak. How do you envision just them implementing raids? Oh, this, there's, there's a, I guess there's a lot of answers or a lot of different, all different opinions and a whole varied, um, response repertoire that you could give to that. Um, 
in my opinion, and I think uh, for a lot of leaders, though the number one thing that we see raids being introduced is it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to a particular guild. Like we get the whole accessibility and openness because, you know, that's, that's our mantra. We want to make it as accessible to everyone as possible. But on the same notion, one of the biggest challenges that we have with being so open is that we don't have control over the players on the map. And I don't mean this in a bad way in terms of, you know, oh, I don't like this person, we're going to kick them. Um, but if the raids are going to go down the route of triple trouble where coordination is required, really need, we really need the people that are there that are willing to cooperate to, 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 and work together to get the kill. And for, for, for me personally, accessibility and control over the map are two separate things. Having control over the map and being able to choose you know, who to remove from the map because they're not cooperating, they're trolling or whatnot is, is really important to make sure that raiding is a positive experience for everyone because like you know, in, in Triple Trouble, you can have one or two people literally that aren't following the directions or doing their own thing to prevent a kill from happening and seen it time and time happen again. Um, and it's it's a shame when, you know, that we, we spend all this time organizing and prepping an hour beforehand only to get, get the kill taken away because one or two people um, weren't paying attention and weren't listening and decided to go off and do their own thing. And, you know, I, I get it's an MMO. You, you're always going to get those people, but having just a bit of control over, over the map is probably key um, in my mind for that. So that leads us to a question. Would you like to see raids in open world like we're seeing with Triple Trouble and Tequaddle? Would you like to see, you know, instances in the Guild Wars 1 vein of Fisher of Woe in the Underworld? In my opinion, me personally, in that respect, uh, I think a blend of both would be nice. I think the open world events try and serve their function, but the mega server system is kind of something that's a hot topic of debate in relation to those open world events. But at the same time, you know, there's times where we want to try and do stuff with our guilds, with our TTS members. And I think instanced raids would do that. And hopefully they take into consideration not just making, you know, hundreds of instance raids, but also realize that they have so much just beautiful space that they can use in their world for these events. You know, for instance, the marionette, uh, I believe it's in Lornar's Pass was where it was, I yep. hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, that right there, that was people absolutely love the Twisted Marionette. And that's one of uh, what would be considered technically, quote unquote, a raid. And those function very well. But then at the same time, you know, the Fisher of O and all of that stuff, those would also function properly in a guild environment in which you could control the instance, much like Murph has said. I think there's a place for both of those in this game in their respective nature. And that'd be good for you guys being such a large guild. You'd be able to fill those instances just with your own membership. But I think it'd be cool if they implemented it, if we're going to implement it so you could bring other people and make it, you know, kind of um, private or uh, open. Right. Uh, yeah. A part of our uh, raid CDI proposal was actually if they were going to do instanced uh, raids is that they would allow you to use the looking for group tool. They would integrate it inside where you could open it up after you've gotten your guild members in and say, hey, we have, you know, 30 out of 40 people we need. We're looking for 10 more people. Feel free to hop in here. And then once again, they're using the looking for group tool. They're making it open to everyone. And that was kind of our attempt to work around the issue of exclusivity of content so people didn't feel like they were being shut out from being able to do stuff. Well, um, Chris Whiteside did actually, like, because the whole 
what is the definition of a raid sort of became a hot topic at the very beginning of the CDI. And he straight up came out and said that a raid is an instanced group content that is challenging. However, what type of instance still remains to, you know, be like, hey, what is exactly does that mean? Because this is Guild Wars and Anet, and an instance to them might not be what most people think. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that definition, but I mean, to each their own. Technically, Sanctum K is an instance. It's just a really big one with like 200 people in it. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, um, going further along the idea, the little thought that you just gave out, accessibility for the raids, it's been thrown back and forth. Uh, do you have to be in a guild? Do you have to have these achievements? Uh, just uh, how do you guys think that that should be handled? Um, like, I mean, like I mentioned before, being able to participate and enter the instance shouldn't be gated off in any way um probably the only minimum gate that i find would be acceptable is you have to be level 80 that's that's it you know having access to all your traits and skills is kind of a no-brainer when when it comes to raiding but in terms of actually being able to enter the instance and participate i don't think you need to be in any specific guild and whatnot um obviously being in a guild that's specializing in in raiding is going to be an advantage but um it's not going to cut you off i guess technically from entering the raid if you put in their time and effort um required to to do that as a as a as a pickup so um in yes. you know there, there was in the in the CDI there was a few mentions in terms of gear gating or um other sorts of gating to to halt progression for for me personally um i'm sort of in two minds about it i think it makes sense to have some sort of um progression gate not necessarily gear wise but um, in terms of other things, in terms of, you know, you have to beat, if it's a multi-boss stage, you have to beat boss one to get to boss two, to get to boss three, etc. Um, but on the other side as well, back to sort of the open accessibility, it, it kind of goes against that. Um, so, you know, e- either way I'd be, I'd be content with, but for me, the primary one is really being able to, you know, as a pickup group, if you see some people asking to, um, for more members for their raid, then you can just hop in and help them out rather than having to join the guild and go through some other stuff to to be to get into that raid. You mentioned traits uh, in um, sort of the requirements, and nowadays someone can actually hit level eighty and not have anywhere near a full trait loadout. Would you say that actually requiring to have all the traits unlocked would be part of that, or just having a trait in each slot at least? Just, just having that trait in each slot, like you know, w- when you look at your trait line, six, six, six trait points in a trait line is a uh, is a, a decent amount of extra stats in in and of itself, and that really gives you an advantage over someone who's upscaled to to level eighty at the end of the day. In terms of specific traits, I wouldn't imagine those to be too important, more personal preference. But having at least access to be able to buff up your your stats a bit at level eighty um, would would be a would be an ideal situation. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on from accessibility and going into the whole gear debate, as you so aptly put, ascended gear—it's—it's it's a thing, and Anet's going to have to deal with it. How do you feel about like should the raids be balanced around ascending gear? Should they be balanced around exotics? Should they be balanced around sort of both? And probably more importantly, what kind of gear should come out of the raids? 
Ideally, I would like to see them try and balance around both, uh, because as it stands right now, Ascended Gear is quite a large grind, which is kind of ironic considering ArenaNet was like, no, 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 we'll never release grindy content, and then boom, three months later, Ascended Gear, besides the point, but... Uh, hopefully they would sort of try and attempt to balance it around both, um, not separately, because it's just something that you have to encompass. The stat bonus on Ascended, I believe, is like 8% or so for, per piece, I think. Uh, so it overall makes a huge difference. But I'm kind of hoping that they shy away from the idea that every single person that is in the raid has to have Ascended gear or they won't be able to run it. Uh, secondly, I think one of the biggest problems right now, actually... Um, is with, I believe you were talking about the gear drops that would be dropped from the event itself, mm-hmm. yeah? Right. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems now, actually, is the RNG system, where, for instance, it took me eight months on three different characters a day to get my first Tequadal Horde, and I was running it every single day three times, and I finally got a Tequadal Horde, I want to say, about a month ago. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And it was the same thing for uh, Triple Trouble, actually. It was a lot shorter, admitting, admittedly, but it still took an excessively long time to get that gear. And a lot of the things that our members bring up, actually, is that they wish there was some sort of token system where if you beat this raid, you get so many tokens, and if you keep beating this raid over and over and over again, or this boss over and over and over again, you would collectively amass tokens, which you could then you know, exchange for some sort of gear, much like the dungeon system works, actually, in order to at least merit some reward, because honestly, if they lock it behind rng again it's probably going to take me a year to get it not the luckiest I, of people and i don't know if i want to take I a year to get it how you, yeah how that feel i know that feel when it comes to rng because <laughs> yep i'm pretty sure you know about lost orient jewelry boxes and oh i i have so much hatred for those things because I knew they were the best thing to do with Karma at the time. But at the same time, I had multiple stacks of Risen Priests of Balthazar. And it infuriated me so much. But yeah, best and, mini in the game, though, right? Hmm? Best mini in the game. Yep. And our, Evie and I being in the same guild, I'm on the other side. I have usually have really good RNG, but I can agree with that. Eight months to get so many is just ridiculous. I mean, I think something needs to be done about the RNG as well. Yep, it took me over a year just to get mini tech to drop, and I refused to buy it from the TP out of principle. Yeah. Yep, same here. Sort of continuing on with Ascended and whatnot, how would you guys feel? And this is sort of a proponent that Shanku and I are sort of bellowing with our lungs, going, This is how it should be. Um, the first raid is set up to be done with exotics. But it gives easy access to Ascended gear. And from that point on, the game, not just raids, would be balanced around Ascended. After having this really easy way to attain it. Well, compared to how it is attained now, anyways. Oh, that's a, that's a tricky one. Um, I, I kind of see, see where you're going, but... Um, in, in, in the sense of, of Guild Wars 2 and the raid, that, that's sort of putting in a, in a gate in place. Um, w- when you look at Ascended Gear, it's, this, the stat increase isn't really that huge when you take into account. Um, I think balancing around exotics is, is a good way to go with maybe, you know, additional rewards, um, based on challenges that 
do require ascended gear. So, for example, you know, um, a fight balance around exotics means you have to, you know, kill kill this boss in X amount of time. Whereas if you do it in ascended, you can beat it within this amount of time and get an achievement and additional rewards for that. Sort of like, I guess, a soft end rage if you want to think about it that way. Um, and then create rewards based on that. So. To complete the raid, you're not necessarily forced to get Ascended Gear, but to have Ascended Gear is extremely beneficial, if that kind of makes sense. And I think that works well with you know the TTS mentality, where you guys don't let anyone in because you don't think you need to have Exotic. But I think if they did that, that would create you know a vortex with people that said, oh no, I don't want you in my party if you don't have Exotics. We need to get this achievement. I think you mean Ascended. <laughs> That's what I meant. Because, <laughs> uh, let's be honest, if there's an achievement that takes ascended and you do it with exotic that's i mean that's just means you're good yeah i mean uh, for for me honestly i think exotic should be if they're going to balance they should balance around exotics because it's it's the gear that everyone's going to have access to it's, it's the gear that the everyone in the player base has access to so there's no excuse for not being able to be in exotics um whereas ascended there's a bit more specialized even now you know a lot of people don't have ascended just purely because the the stat increase isn't really that that huge of a deal um and the only reason you you're getting ascended these days is really if you're mid maxer or you're doing fractals for the infusion slot or you're me and you're just like it's only done through crafting and i boycott crafting Which, I, I can't really say that anymore because I have an ascended weapon. Something we may have skimmed over, what do you guys think about size of the raid? I mean, we talked about instance, non-instance, but what, what's that number that you think would be good? Uh, me personally, I'd like to see, once again, a combination of both. Like, triple trouble size is 120 plus. Yes, you can do it a lot with a lot less, but it's very rare to do that, and you have to use questionable methods, which a lot of the community that surrounds Worm doesn't like to use. Uh, but then at the same time, you know, the 40-man raids, the 20-man raids, the 25, where you can just take a small, you know, friendly group in, you can hash it out, you can do this difficult content or not difficult content, whatever they, you know, which raid they choose to do that night for whatever fits them seems just really fitting. I'd like to see a lot of diversity in terms of the sizes they use. As far as the CDI goes, the most popular size is actually somewhere between 10 and 16. Um, Being such big guilds, like, how would you guys handle something like that? Having multiple raids? Uh, I I think that would be quite quite interesting, to be honest. I know, I get get the whole um, sort of 10 to 20 size limit for raids and and in a sense like i kind of agree thinking about the broader guild wars 2 player base just probably because you know um a lot of people are in that guild size where you know that they don't have hundreds of people in their guild they have around 50 that are that are online and i think 15 to 20 is a good good number for that um from mechanics point of view you know it's it's enough that you know your individual performance matters but your failure as an individual isn't too detrimental to the raid um so there is some wiggle room in there um from an organizational perspective i think for for us as a community it's it's going to be slightly more difficult for us at the beginning because if it does get down to that size we're obviously going to need to run a lot more simultaneous raids than we do now like at the moment we're looking at um during the weekdays a lot of times it's two worm maps at the same time that's 300 people 
that we're organizing and coordinating. If we take that down to to twenty per instance, what's that? That's three hundred divided by twenty. That's over. That's nearly like a dozen simultaneous raids, which means we need at least a dozen leaders trained up and able to do all those raids and lead them at the same time. You know, and. It's, Yes, it's going to be a challenge, but I think on the flip side of that as well, it could be fun in terms of having races between each of the different different rates to see who can blow through it as quick as possible um, and whatnot. And also gives us the opportunity to create specifically themed raids. For example, we might have a few raids where there's people that need achievements that we focus on doing the achievements for that raids. There might be one for new people where you focus on you know going really in-depth with the explanations and practicing and getting people up to speed on how to do these raids and whatnot. So um, it, it is a, you know, a two-edged sword in, in that sense, but I think overall it's, it, will be, it will be a great, great thing because it will open up to the wider Guild Wars 2 base and um, mean that we're not the only one doing these, this high-end content, but also means that it gives us the opportunity to really um, cater specifically for particular niche people within our, within our community. That's what you can do in those raids, like... Uh, you mentioned the whole like racing and themes and all this one, and that reminds me of back in BC. Uh, once we were far beyond that particular bit of content in Karazhan, we would do crazy things like see who would get through it the fastest with three different groups, or go in there with nothing but druids, and it, that's just so much fun. And even back in the days of Guild Wars, you guys remember the uh, the dragon by the. Uh... The temple where he'd drop a bow with a Terrawing or something. Oh, my Rotwing. The Rotwing, that's right. We would race that, I remember, because our alliance would have you know, more than eight people on, and we'd race to see who could kill the Rotwing first. So, yeah, that'd be cool. I like the idea if you went there. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's it's a bit of competitive, fun atmosphere for the community that that gives something different to the, the day-to-day stagnant raid that people are kind of used to now. Cool. We're hitting about uh, 50 minutes or so, and I think we're touched on everything anything else you guys have um questions for us or more words of wisdom uh input things you want to say to the community uh more words of wisdom okay yeah i'm a really wise person all i can say is phase two stack on your commander thank you everyone (laughs) that that's that is a will of morality if i have ever heard one i wish i had done that i know right Yep, phase two. If you if you listen to that single roar, then you your sweetest rain. Just I guess a quick ending <laughs> note and maybe figure out live. <laughs> yeah, and just a shameless plug for us, I guess. I mean, as you've heard, we're from TTS. Um, our mantra is really allowing opening up end game content or more difficult content to the masses. Um, if you want more information or you'd like to join us, you can go to ttsgamers.com. All the information is there. Um, and everyone and anyone is welcome so long as they're not basically negative people. Yep, as always, we'd love to have you. Cool, and do either of you have a Twitter account or other individual uh, contact? Basically, anything you want to plug, now's the time to do it. Anything. Even Tumblr, if if Um, you have a Tumblr, but then I might have to kick you from Tumblr. Tumblr. I don't know. Oh, jeez. No Tumblr, please. We do have Facebook. I should probably know this our Facebook off by heart, hey. Twitter.com slash TTS Gamers. No, I don't think that it's that's it. Or is it TTS? It it is it totally is. No, because I'm pretty sure when we created it was wow. it was different. It's actually Facebook.com slash tech squad. TTS gamers was already taken. So Facebook.com forward slash tech squad, that's T E Q S Q U A D. That's our Facebook. And our Twitter is Facebook.com forward slash TTS gamers.
What did I say? Facebook for Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. Yeah, twi- Twitter.com. Twitter.com. It's okay. Gamers, yeah. I said exotic when I meant ascendant. Uh, so. We can all English really well tonight. Oh, yeah. am, I, am I finally making that a thing? Oh my god, I'm making that a thing. Yes, yes you are. <laughs> Good job, Evie. It's, it's quite not at the level of wet bus ticket, but... Oh. You'd have to spend more time in RO to get that one. Has that even been I'm on the show sure before? It was on the show before oh. it was on TeamSpeak. Alright, well we'll put um, the Facebook stuff in the notes. And I think that's about it. Thank you guys for coming. This was really insightful and cool. Glad yeah, to thanks for having have us. You. Thank you for having us. That was another episode of Relics of War. If you'd like to get involved, you can find us on any social networking site such as Facebook, Twitter, Steam, and many more just by looking up Relics of War. That's Relics of O-R-R. Similarly, if you'd like to send us mail, you can send that to relicsoforr at gmail.com or go to our website, relicsofor.com, where you can record right there on the front page using our WordPress widget to put on a headset and give us your feedback. Or if you feel more comfortable with it, you can go ahead and just record the audio and send it to us as an OGG or an MP3 file. If you'd like to join us in-game, send a whisper to Cole, C-O-E-H-L, and Nexi, A-N-E-K-S-I, C-Squirrel Run, that's a C, and then Squirrel, and then Run, or Spirit Face to get in contact with us or join the guild. Last, we always love the comments, so if you want to go to our main site and start commenting on some of the posts that we've got or join our forums, you can have fun with that. If you listen to us on iTunes, you can find our page on the market, and just leave a comment or a rating that you feel that we deserve. We appreciate that. We'll read them on the show. 